Hi, welcome to Storytime with Seth Rogen. This week's episode, Glorious Bastards. How does one accomplish their dreams? How do we manifest our hopes, our wildest projections of what our lives could be into a reality? And if we are lucky enough to do that, how do we deal with it? Are we humble? Are we cocky? Are we gracious? How do we process it? How do we process it? These are some of the questions we're going to be asking today, and they're pretty big questions. So I'll take it back a bit, and we'll start smaller. We'll start more locally. We'll start with a friend of mine, Quinta Brunson. Okay, I'm recording. Quinta Brunson is a writer, actor, comedian. Uh, I first saw her doing hilarious things on Instagram and followed her as she went on to perform in the Black Lady Sketch Show. I cast her in An American Pickle because I thought she was so funny, and she's just overall someone um, I could not be a bigger fan of and uh, more in awe of when it comes to their skill and their grace as a person. Um, And uh, it seems very natural that Quinta would become a performer and comedian, but that is not the case. Uh, Because when you talk to Quinta, you realize that, in fact, the cards were quite stacked against her. She was not at all born in an environment that was conducive to one thriving in comedy. Quinta was raised a Jehovah's Witness. Story time. Story time, yeah. I I have not interacted with Jehovah's Witnesses beyond telling them I do not want their literature. Um, So what are the highlights of Jehovah's uh, Witnessism? Yeah. I'm curious. It's a very conservative sect of Christianity, and it's really private. You can compare it to like Seventh Day Adventist, but uh-huh. they're very by the book. And by the book, I mean by the Bible. Um, they do not yeah. celebrate holidays. You are not supposed to smoke, uh, have sex before marriage. Very important one for the, for this story. They don't rub elbows with the world. That is the term. Wow. You're not even supposed to go to college. Wow. You're not supposed to enjoy like comedies with uh, cursing and sex. So I was I was a really bad Jehovah's Witness. Why was she a bad Jehovah's Witness? Because Quinta loved comedy. But hearing people laugh at things I was doing, especially my siblings, was huge. And so I think the obsession began then. There's a phrase I'm reminded of. When someone asks you, how can I learn to be funny? The answer is the same way you can learn to be tall. You can't. Comedians are, are born. They're not made. You just are funny or you're not funny. And Quinta was funny. When she was barely out of diapers, she was already making people laugh. I remember when she was in a car seat. This is Quinta's sister, Njia. So when you're in a car seat, you're under four or five years old. We used to watch And Live in Color and Martin and those type of shows. And Quinta, she's the baby of five. So whatever we watched, she had to watch. And she soaked it all in. Whether we knew it or not, she was soaking it all in. And so we'd be in the car and we'd be like, Quinta, 
do Honda. And she just snapped right in the character. She just, like, she'd do the face and everything. Like, she'd do the protocol lips out and stuff. She'd be like, oh, my goodness. Like, and she would do it just like Jamie Foxx did it. Like, as a baby, sitting up in her car seat. I would do that line, and my siblings would crack up. And I was like, okay, I'm doing something right. Attention. This is good. But as hilarious as her Wanda impression was, it was frowned upon by the Jehovah's Witnesses which by the time Quinta was in high school, she had already started to drift from. And then high school, that's when Anchorman came out. Obsession. Obsession. They've done studies, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. That doesn't make sense. And then that's when I realized, like, okay, this is my shit. I was the person who brought in the new DVDs to school on movie day. I'm like, yo, this is Napoleon Dynamite. Like, dead ass, we got to watch this. And everyone's like, Quentin, <laughs> we don't want to watch it. Because I'm in a school in West Philly, a predominantly, you know, black school. And Napoleon Dynamite was not a big film. So nobody really knew about it. So here's Quinta. Her religion is frowning upon her love of comedy. No one in her high school gets the quirky, quirky, quirky jokes of Napoleon Dynamite. And she's all alone until she meets someone who loves comedy as much as she does. Her first boyfriend, Malik. And when I was with Malik, the thing that got us together, we became really bonded by our love for comedy because he was the only person who liked the same comedies I like. And so that whole relationship was based on loving comedies and, and, that, and that only. But then high school ended and Malik moved to Chicago for college and Quinta stayed in Philly to attend Temple University. Quinta would fly to Chicago to visit Malik. And while she was there, she would take comedy classes at the Second City Theater, where people like Bill Murray and Mike Myers, Tina Fey, all honed their craft. So that is when you were dating uh, Malik. You would you would go to Chicago and you started to go to Second City classes uh, on those yes. trips. Yeah, that's how I kind of started, you know, building my relationship with taking comedy seriously as a career. The Second City training is the best. It was not until I started studying improvisation in Chicago that I felt like this is the kind of work I want to do. I started in Chicago with the Second City. Chicago, Second City. Chicago, Second City. I think it was the happiest time of my life. I went to Chicago to the Second City uh, via him. I was able to stay with him. And so I lied to my parents about where I was. They didn't know. I, I would tell them I'm staying on campus at Temple University where I went in Philly for a long time. I was like, I'm staying on campus for a week to get some extra work done in the tech center. And meanwhile, I was on a plane fully taking <laughs> classes in, in Chicago. And uh, I paid for it with my dance school teaching money. And, and wow. went. I went to Chicago about seven times without them knowing. That's amazing. <laughs> Before I came out as a comedian to my parents, I was just like... <laughs> That's incredible. That's when I was like, maybe I should try to do this for a living. But... Jehovah's Witnesses are very against television, film, acting, anything that's not just going door to door, so. <laughs> they tried doing like a long distance relationship thing, but unfortunately, Quinta and Malik broke up and that breakup shook Quinta to her core. We break up. I decide, okay, maybe being a bad Jehovah's Witness wasn't the answer. Maybe you need to go make a 180 and try to be a good Jehovah's Witness because you got your heart broken. It was shattered into a million pieces. Maybe my parents were right. Maybe Jehovah's right. Maybe Jesus was right. 
maybe you need to try out this thing again. So wow. there was this guy. You swung back. At, I swung back and I was I decided I was going to be good and try to try to stick the landing and really be a good JW girl. And maybe that would fix my life. To be a good JW girl, or J-Dub as I call them, you have to find a good J-Dub guy. There's this one guy in the faith who was really, really into me. And I thought he was very cute for what it's worth. We'll call him Octavius. This guy had been like kind of after me for a while. Like, he would see me at Jehovah's Witnesses conventions and stuff. And, you know, we had become Facebook friends and everything. And he would message me and and try to just be like, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I did think he was very cute. So when I decided to 180 back into, you know, sainthood, I thought, let me give this boy a chance. A chance, a chance. But a chance is a serious thing in this religion. The moment you sign on with someone, your parents are on your back, your friends are on your back in the faith to be like, basically, three dates and you're married. This boy is cute. I can marry him. That's a high stakes date. Just knowing that like, because yeah, it's essentially as though your first date, by the end of it, you've been dating for two years. And by the end of your second date, you've been dating for three years. And by the end of your third date, you've been dating for five years and it's time to get married. It's time to get married. And he knew this too. Even the way he was approaching everything was, I would like, to marry you and the stakes of that are are crazy (laughs) he asked me out and i'm like cool let's go to the movies 10 hot eyes forward the biggest movie out at the moment is inglorious bastards very romantic (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be doing one thing one thing only Killing Nazis. Yes, sir! And, and, you know, I hate blood and gore and I hate that style, but my brain was so wrapped up in trying to get over Malik and trying to get into the idea of marrying this boy that I didn't even think of that. So I'm like, yeah, let's go see Inglorious Bastards. Sound good? Yes, sir! We decide to go to like a 1.30 matinee at this brand new movie theater called The Bridge that was just put in in West Philadelphia, right on the side of of the hood. It's right where I'm from. This movie theater was like so amazing. There were only two in America at the time. The other one was in LA and they shot a B2K music video there. Of course, And so we decided to go there and I'm like, okay, he's, we're going to the nicest movie theater. He's fancy. He's taking me to a movie. And we go and, and he picks me up in his car, also very nice. And he's like, you you look so nice. You look so you look so good. Like I, I really love your like outfit. I was wearing like a little little small little one piece from H and M, looking just like cute and hot. And <laughs> and he's <laughs> and 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 we're having an okay time. But I just cannot connect with this guy. I'm talking to him about you know my favorite books and like my my favorite uh, songs and stuff. And he's just as dry as they come. He was so handsome. But he was one of those very handsome, very boring people. (laughs) We're walking to the movie theater and he's like, so, you know, what are your plans for like the next five years? Which meant 
are you into marriage? Are you yeah. into getting married? And I'm just looking at him like, you're so fine. And my life is in such shambles that, you know, I told him I would, I'm interested in, you know, getting married and having children. And he's like, me too. Wow. <laughs> On your way to the first date. On way to the first date. And you're probably part of your head is like, if I have to settle for like a boring fucking guy in a boring life, he might as well be a sexy motherfucker, you know? That's what I was thinking. I'm like, <laughs> at least I get to look at him for the rest of my life. It's not the end of the world. You will grow into it. <laughs> as long as nothing happens to his head or face. But before a life where you've decided to learn to love someone, a Tarantino flick, Quentin Octavius queued up to get their tickets. The atrium is fully empty. No one's in this movie theater except for us and the, the four people in front of us, the two people getting their tickets at the front and the, and the two people who are in front of us. So I'm looking in front of us and I'm like, that man looked like Paul Rudd. Looked like Paul Rudd. 60% of the time, it works every time. So, I'm t- and you know, you have, this is a stupid thought to have. It's 1.30 in the middle of a random movie theater in Philadelphia. It just didn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But I'm just like, this man looks like Paul Rudd. That's fucking crazy. And the person next to him is a huge man, like a huge, a huge person. So then, and, and Paul I mean, Rudd's a pretty small man. So uh, yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Totes my goats. Cool. The person in front of me fully turns his head to the side to talk to the rather large man next to him. So I get a really good shot of his profile because he looks up and everything. And I'm like, ain't no way. This is not Paul Rudd. This is Paul Rudd. So I turn to my date and I say, I think Paul Rudd is in front of us. I think Paul Rudd is in front of us. Paul Rudd is in front of us. And he says to me, who's Paul Rudd? (laughs) 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 Who is Paul Rudd? Who is Paul Rudd? What? 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 Octavius, you're fucking killing me, man. I was like, I, my, my husband won't know who Paul Rudd. (laughs) To to me, like, it, it was a real fucking bummer. Fucking bummer. Fucking bummer. Fucking. This did not bode well for a lifetime together. Well, it's almost like a Kaiser Soze moment because what you probably then did was extrapolate on like, if he doesn't know who Paul Rudd is, that means he never saw Anchorman. That means he never saw Clueless. Like there's so many movies that are great that he never saw or registered in his event. I tried to jog his memory. I'm like, Quentin, don't give up yet because you have to marry this man. Maybe he doesn't know his name. I said, um, Anchorman. He's like, hey, I'm not really into those movies. And I was like, how am I going to marry a man who's not really into me? Because that's what he was saying, essentially, in that moment. This was my life at this point. These were the, the things I lived by. These movies were my Bible. So I'm like, let me see if this man is Paul Rudd, because I think it's Paul Rudd. So I tap him and I said, excuse me, 
are you Paul Rudd? And he's like, yeah, I am Paul Rudd. And I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was just like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He's like, oh, I, I'm here because I'm shooting a movie right now. And I'm like, I love you. Like, oh my God, uh, it's such an honor to meet you. And like, wow, I can't believe you're here right now. And he shakes my hand. He goes out to shake the my date's hand. I'm like, don't even shake his hand because he don't deserve. <laughs> and <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we take a picture together and he was so sweet and kind. And so then I'm like, interaction over. I just met Paul Rudd. That was incredible. Okay, boom. Paul Rudd steps up to get his tickets yeah. and he's going to see Inglorious Bastards. Nice. And I'm like, oh my God, he's seeing the same movie. So <laughs> that's crazy. We get our tickets. We stop at the concession stand and Paul Rudd is there getting concessions. And <laughs> can't shake this guy. Can't shake this guy. And he's just like, good to see you guys again. I was like, I noticed we're, we're going to see the same movie. And he's like, oh yeah. We walk into the movie theater. In the theater is literally only me, my date, Paul Rudd, and his bodyguard. <laughs> so we wind up sitting like really far away from him because now it's just getting weird and I'm nervous and Paul Rudd turns around and is like come, why are you guys all the way up there like come on down there's nobody else in this theater so I'm just like oh my god okay we go down there and we're sitting right behind Paul Rudd and I'm just telling him like I you know I have to let you know I was trying to be coy at first but I love comedy it is the field I would like to work in it's amazing that you're here right now. I just came from my my first like classes at the Second City in Chicago. And he's like, Second City? Uh, yeah, of course. I, I, know, I know a ton of people there. Like, you know, Steve Carell went to Second City. I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a movie with him soon. And I'm like, that that's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to want to I really want to pursue this. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go back to the Second City. And he's like, why not? And I'm just like, well, I don't know. You know, the career seems like such a, a crapshoot. It, it seems really hard to get into. And he's like, no, if you're passionate about it and you went and someone like told you you should do it, like you should do it. You should continue to pursue that. And he's like, your guy here knows what I'm talking about. Point to the date. And I'm just like. The way he fucking doesn't. <laughs> The movie starts. It starts with the scalping. Quinta is spinning the fuck out. Because I hate blood and I hate gore. There's Octavius sitting beside her, not liking comedy, loving Inglorious Bastards. There's Paul Rudd, mere feet away from her. There's Quinta watching Christoph Waltz murdering Jewish people, something she does not want to be seeing right now. I'm having a crisis, an existential crisis. She doesn't know what to do. Why is this happening to her? Why is this happening? This was a sign to me. 60% of the time, it works. I was like, oh, mm-mm. I'm fucking out. I don't want to watch this, and I don't like you. Paul Rudd was really nice to me. I'm leaving. So we get up, and Paul Rudd's like, where are you going? And I was like, great. <laughs> I was like, I can't watch this. I don't really like blood. He's like, oh, you punk. Paul Rudd just called me a punk. <laughs> it was a sign from the god of comedy themselves. 
we walk out of the theater, I turned to this boy and I said, listen, I don't think this is going to work out. I'm going back to Chicago. <laughs> and that was that. The comedian soon to be known as Quinta Brunson had been born again, and her savior was not Jehovah, no. It was a small Jewish man from Kansas City named Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Totes my goats. Just when Quinta thought she was going to marry Octavia, settle down, have kids, she met Paul Rudd. And every goddamn fucking thing she knew went right out the window. He has no idea how much that conversation changed my life. If I had not ran into him in that movie theater, had he not been in Philadelphia filming a movie, had we not sat in the same movie theater, Mm -hmm. had he not told us to come down closer, I could have been married and miserable. Yeah. With a husband who doesn't understand me and... Who doesn't know who Paul Rudd is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, d- I wonder if he remembers it. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. That's what I think about all the time. Story time. Story time, yeah. Good to see you, man. Um... It's great to see you. I'm going to make you full screen. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> the best placement. Uh, well, I obviously had to call my good friend Paul Rudd, tell him this long story, and ask him if he remembered it. I have no recollection. None. <laughs> Perfect. I don't even know who this other person is that I'm with. I've never had a bodyguard in my life, so maybe she was thinking of Owen Wilson. Maybe it was <laughs> It wasn't Jack Nicholson, I assume. No, I would have remembered that. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> do you remember seeing Inglorious Bastards? I do remember seeing Inglorious okay. Bastards. <laughs> Absolutely remember okay. that. And so it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. It, you know, it's interesting that, you know, look, she, she, I think she would have done it anyway. It's who she is and it's right. And, and, uh, you know, I do believe that if it's something that you love, yeah, um, you y- you should commit to it. If it, you know, life is short. The fact that he didn't remember the story honestly made it more poignant in many ways. Just by being a nice guy, going about his day, being cool to people, he changed the lives of those he interacted with. And when I looked back, he didn't just do it with Quinta Brunson. When we made 40 Old Virgin, like, you were so nice to everybody. And looking back, I truly think that, like, you showed me the best way to manage being a famous person. And I think that, like, it is a skill in and of itself that so many famous people do not have. (laughs) And it's something that I for sure think about all the time, honestly. Wow. As far as him being really nice, I definitely think about that all the time because sometimes this industry will almost play a game with your brain and try to force you to forget to to be human sometimes like because yeah it pedestals you so oh yeah i think you have to be active in combating that i know what you're thinking why are these famous assholes fucking jerking themselves off and congratulating themselves for being nice to people that they interact with why are they acting like it's such an enormous hurdle they've overcome in their lives well the truth is It's harder than you would think. When a lot of people see a famous person, their brains break. It's like they are meeting um, 
like a fictional character. Like it, it's as yeah. though the laws of reality have crumbled, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that gives some people permission to then act in a way that they would never normally act. And like, hey, you know what? Fuck it. Like, uh, I'm just going to do this Fuck shit. It. But, I'm going to pick but, you up right now. I don't know <laughs> you, but gonna, I'm going to pick I'm you up. Put you in my pocket and run away with you. <laughs> Have people picked you up? <laughs> Have you been picked up? Oh, like, this is the one thing I've talked about in therapy. Being picked up without my consent by a stranger on the street. Do you know how, and I love to be in control. Do you know how out of control that makes me feel? <laughs> that, it is that is the, wild. It's one thing to be hugged which is sweet but to then be picked up off of your feet which anchor you to the ground it is insanity and what's even more insane is like why would you do this why would you (laughs) throw away all your inhibitions and pick a person up (sighs) it just goes back to the recurring theme which is no one teaches you specifically how to be nice to your fans and even that you should be nice to your fans. And it can create a lot of anxiety for some people that I've met throughout my life. There's a weird paradox at play where everyone knows you and you're incredibly popular and they want to interact with you. And as a result of that, it can make you incredibly anxious and not want to talk to anybody. When Gladiator came out, Jim, me, Jim Carrey, and Judd and Gary Shandling went and saw it together in the theater, and um, and wow. like Jim Carrey could not have been more famous at this time. But here's what was interesting: is before we went out, he's like, "I have anxiety." He's like, "I don't love leaving the house right now." He's like, "I," and he was. It was so interesting. It was the first person I'd heard talk about that, and he was just like, "He's like, I have this big, nice house. I have everything I need here." He's like, "Camera phones were just starting to come around," and he's like, "These phones is just so much." Like, yeah, I, I like. Um, but then he he got in his car, drove to Westwood, walked through Westwood for 15 minutes. We got it. It was opening night theater. We got in line. We didn't have anyone like escort us in. Everyone was coming up to him and he couldn't have been nicer and cooler to everybody. And I had just heard him say how he didn't want to do it. And, yeah. and, and no one who interacted with him would have thought anything other than like, holy shit, Jim Carrey's like the nicest, funniest fucking guy I've ever seen in my entire life. It was not coming incredibly naturally to him, but he was still making an effort to do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he was steering away from where gravity was pulling him, which was like, I don't want to leave. And when I do leave, I don't want to talk to anybody, but we're are going to leave. And I'm going to talk to every single person out there. Basically two different directions. There's like, I, yeah, yeah. Paul Rudd taught me how to be famous by example. And he did the same for Quinta Brunson in the movie theater that day. But I'd never brought this up with Paul. And when I did, my fame guru and teacher had another lesson for me. Uh, I, never thought, I never thought of myself as a famous person. So it wouldn't occur to me like, oh, I'll be the nicest person because I'm famous. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you, you talk to people because you're a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and everyone's uh, just trying to get by. And it's important to be polite. And it's, you want to be nice to people. <laughs> That's all that is. Now, that is an insanely nice thing for Paul to say and very self-effacing, but the truth is, you don't just become a nice person. Unlike being funny, you can learn to be nice. Me and Quinta saw Paul being a great, wonderful man, and we thought, maybe I'll try to do something like that. I wondered, where did Paul get this from? Who made Paul Rudd such a nice guy? I'm just having this memory right now (laughs) as we're talking. Yeah. When I was in college, there was a band I was obsessed with this band. I loved them so much. Trip Shakespeare. And they were huge at the University of Kansas where I was going to school. 
I'll, I'll play them right now on the podcast <laughs> so people yeah, can hear them. You should. Second. They're awesome. Can I tell you a romantic story? This is The Slacks by Trip Shakespeare. A little side note, half of them kind of went on to form the band Semisonic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Semisonic, the amazing band that did Closing Time. Yeah. So anyway, I used to love them. And I'd see them in college. And I had a real hero worship thing with them. I was dressing like them. I mean, I was like, I kind of worshipped them. And then they went on tour. I saw them in California. Then they went to San Francisco. And I followed them. <laughs> like, the, like a deadhead. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. One time in San Francisco, I went with some friends. We were all fans. Everyone on my group left. I stayed because I wanted to talk to them after the show. And all my friends had gone. In fact, everyone had gone. The band was still there. And um, they gave me a ride home. <laughs> and I remember I'm in this van, in their touring van with the band, and they're and they're saying, "So where does your friend Doug live?" And they're, and they're looking at maps. This was, you know, there was no, and and they drove me home. And I just remember thinking, man, my favorite band in the world is also like the coolest guys. Like who would do that? That's amazing. <laughs> I think that there have been moments in my life where people that I really admired or like were nice to me. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't thought about that until you told me this story. I'm Dan Wilson. I uh, played guitar and sang in a band called Trip Shakespeare. I'm uh, also sang in Semisonic. Do you remember having any experience with Paul Rudd when you were younger? I do. I, I, um, I remember seeing Paul at Trip Shakespeare shows, and um, my band kind of inspired a certain kind of obsessive uh, fandom, a repetitive fandom. And non, not a casual fandom. And he seemed to be sort of on the edge, at least of that non-casualness, you know, <laughs> he would, he would agree. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he, he, so he would hang out with us and I, and he always presented himself as like, I can't believe you're letting me talk to you guys. Whereas to us, he was just delightful and great, you know, and we were, we, every time he was around, we would all feel so happy, you know, so he has a memory of of hanging out with you so late one night after a show that you actually had to drive him home to his friend's house. I mean, that's definitely possible. Like there's a phrase which is just like never meet your heroes. What mm. do you what do you think of that phrase? Have you met anyone that you like idolized over the years? And I mean I I've, I've met a lot and it's gone it's gone drastically different directions from like different. forging very meaningful relationships with people that I never thought I would to right. having uh, truly disastrous interactions with right. people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when I was 16 or so, I was trying to become a, a cartoonist and there was this artist who was syndicated out of the Minneapolis Star and Tribune newspaper named Dick Ginden, Richard Ginden. And I essentially cold called him at the newspaper office and told him who I was. And I was, you know, 16 year old artist. And could I like have a meeting with him and show him my work? And he said, yes, he was completely happy to see my work, which I 
later I looked at it and I realized that it was just a complete ripoff of Richard Gindon's <laughs> drawings. You know, like it was like transparently stealing his style. He talked to me. He kind of frankly told me which pictures were working better than others or which ones he found the, the more funny and which ones are less funny. I really could have imagined him being very dismissive, but he just completely took me seriously and like looked at my work as though I was just a peer. And he was like, I dig this one and not so much this one. It was just great. Yeah, it seems like putting people at ease is like, uh, like, like if you've been comforted by someone you look up to, then the instinct seems to be comfort to comfort those who look up to you. I, think. I totally like, agree, and that's maybe an empathy that. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky to have Richard Gindon show me the the cool way to deal with a nervous young fan. And yeah, no, it seems like like gentleness in general is kind of like a virtue of an artist in some way, you know? Yeah. Did you, was there ever a point where you almost gave up? That's something that Quinta kind of dealt with in her, uh, like, she, you know, she was going to be a comedian and yeah. just kind of lost faith, I guess. Has yeah. that, have you ever been there? I, I was there for a little while and sort of unreasonably, I, I made the dramatic decision to be a, a, a fine art painter instead. <laughs> So as far as a more more career security plan yeah. B, yeah, <laughs> pretty dumb. Yeah. Right, right. So that that didn't last. Did you paint that painting behind you? I did. I did. Yeah. Oh wow, it's yeah. beautiful. It's oh, amazing. Thank you. Thank no, you very much. No problem. It's incredible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, thank you so much, Seth. This is great. Hello, is this uh, Richard Gindon? Hi, my name is Seth Rogen. Well, we obviously had to see if Dick Gindon was still alive, and if he was, track him down. And guess what? He is! He declined to be on our podcast and interviewed in any way, shape, or form. No problem. I hope you have a good day, sir. Thank you so much. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye. He was happy to hear it. <laughs> he was. He said. He said that's very nice. I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> that's why I said you don't have to go anywhere with it. That's all. <laughs> it's the end of the episode, Dick. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> um, lovely. And now. Bask in the majesty of song. Closing time. His name is Seth Rogen, and he has a friend named Paul Rudd. Yeah. Closing time. Paul met Quinta Brunson and treated her like his true bud. This was a sign to me. Closing time. Paul learned from Dan Wilson that kindness is a real virtue. To us, he was just delightful and great. Closing time. If your name is Richard Gindon, you know that this is true. They gave me a ride home.
Storytime with Seth Rogen is an Earwolf production, produced, edited, and sound designed by Richard Parks III. Our executive producer is Frida Perez. Additional production by Josh Richmond, Renee Colvert, Jared O'Connell, and Marina Pais, who also recorded the instrumental tracks for our version of Closing Time. Special thanks to Amelia Chapelo. Our artwork is by Robin Richeson. The theme music is by Andy Christian's daughter. Additional music in this episode by Richard Parks III. Story time. I'm Seth Rogen. Yeah. How's that? Hi there. This is Mary Holland. You may know me from Happiest Season or Veep or The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. Or you may know me as Janice Cramps. Huh? I want to wish Comedy Bang Bang a happy 15th anniversary. Wow, 15 years old. Comedy Bang Bang is about to get its driver's permit. I'm so excited for it. And I'm, you know, really grateful because Comedy Bang Bang has brought me so much joy as a listener and a performer. And I'm just very grateful for this community that we have in Comedy Bang Bang. You can hear me and a lot of other very funny people on Comedy Bang Bang wherever you get your podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Tune in! Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.